279 with Mr. Ben Westoff, author of Fentanyl, Inc. And I've also been doing this with a lot of guests, where I ramble on like an idiot. So before I even start, how about you introduce yourself, sir? Well, I'm Ben Westoff. I'm an investigative journalist, and I am the author of Fentanyl, Inc., as you mentioned, which is about the fentanyl epidemic, the third wave of the opioid crisis, which is now more killing more Americans annually than any drug in history. I've also written a couple books about hip hop, most recently Original Gangsters, about uh, NWA, Tupac, and the birth of Hell yeah. West Coast. Hell yeah, that's oh. awesome. Um, hold on one second, make sure the audio, I thought I was getting feedback. Fentanyl Inc. is, and for everybody listening, Fentanyl Inc. will be, as always, will be in the description and sticky to the top comment. Awesome Audible book as an Audible connoisseur. I loved it. No problems with it. Wonderfully done. It's, aside from being terrifying, it's it's also sexy. Like, it's, like you almost don't want it to be sexy, but it is sexy. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. What, I mean, I, I think the other drugs are sexy or really. Fentanyl is kind of like a, people die from it and they didn't even mean to take it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, no. Not, not the drug. The drug isn't sexy. The drug isn't a, yeah, it's not a cocaine at a nightclub. It's not like a nice glass of whiskey. No, the... I would say more so your story is sexy, right? It's the guys that are like, dude, I don't even see the product that I make. Like, it's not good, but it's sexy in the same way that, like, Goodfellas is sexy. Like, murder's not good, but, man, like, they make it look good in, like, a nice suit, right? It's That's what I mean, is the dealers, don't touch it, it's not even online, I sell it here, I have pseudonyms here, it's, I'm making this much money, it's, you know, meeting up with a Mexican cartel in a parking lot and you switch cars. The story is sexy. The drug is not. Uh, no, the drag, drug is you just drop dead. Yeah, well, it's definitely a whole different paradigm than we're used to. Everybody knows the stories of like Pablo Escobar and El Chapo, but these Chinese uh, synthetic drug traffickers, um, which is where almost all of the illicit fentanyl comes from, um, they're like regular businessmen and they're not you know, cartel members, they don't have guys with AK-47s guarding the door. They're, they're, a lot of the drugs that they're selling are legal and under Chinese law. And so they, they are always kind of scrambling to stay within the law. So whenever a new drug gets banned, they stop selling that one and then they make a new one. And um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of nerdy chemical stuff uh involved with their businesses but the the money being made is certainly huge amounts yeah i mean i was a i was a bio i graduated the university of georgia in 2013 i was a biology major we got into medical school and pharmacy school that stuff was all right in my wheelhouse so listening to them yeah you're, you're right it's not like it's not rubber banding hundreds of dollars of bills with gold-plated ak's it's like it looks like a big pharma lab like white gloves fume hoods beakers mass spectrometers ir spectroscopy nuclear spectroscopy organic chemistry looking at the duration the time lapse of the chemical reaction the change in colors yeah it's no it's very it's very just it's just it seems like a normal business almost right absolutely and the chemistry is the um kind of at the crux of the problem like the lack of the information you know so when someone dies from fentanyl, a lot of times they intended to take another drug. 
fentanyl is cut into the heroin or the meth or the cocaine they're taking. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the user who doesn't know. The, the drug dealer selling them, the drug usually doesn't know how much or if any fentanyl is in there. And then the regional distributor doesn't, doesn't know either. It has to go all the way back to the source, which is usually the Mexican cartels buying these Chinese chemicals, mixing it themselves. Those are the only people who often even know how much fentanyl is in these drugs. Yeah. And that's and you and you answered my question in your book, a question that I've had like personally about fentanyl for a while was I was always, you know, someone that's really never done more, took acid once or a couple times, but like never I've never jumped into any of that shit. I know some people that have, but point is is from my, you know, sheltered private school view, I was always like, Why would they want it? That just seems like poor business one oh one. Why would you kill off your customers? And it's and then obviously it's like oh well it's it's so powerful you only need a little bit to cut with your actual and then it's like i hadn't i, I feel stupid but i never actually thought until your book hearing the the firsthand reports of people doing fentanyl it's the people with massive tolerances it's like oh dude it not you know it wasn't just that it got rid of the sickness and the chills i got hot you know, i got high as fuck and it's like oh like that's it's that ever and because it's so tiny you can just add a little you're essentially you're removing the problem of tolerance you can just which is great for pain management but also for addicts and i feel silly but it took me until 30 years old to realize like oh that's why it's so popular but then it's also because it's so tiny and because it's not legal and it's not you know we got to get the mr coffee bean with a certain amount of grind right and it spins at a certain rate it's like oh you guys are you guys are doing like nuclear this is like making a nuclear bomb and it's like you can't be eyeballing this yeah oh absolutely that's that's a huge problem um you know the fentanyl that people take in hospital settings it's all like very safe it's completely <laughs> safe there's there's you know people whose job it is to correctly mix these solutions and administer them you know anesthesiologists but your average drug dealer and drug trafficker is uh, doesn't have this training, doesn't have the tools to do it right. And, you know, like you said, you, you would need a mass, spectrom- mass spectrometry, man, I'm sort of yeah, butchering that, yeah. uh, equipment just to be able to tell what's in this stuff. And no one really has the access to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's an interesting thing is is like I truly do believe that, like, we have to legalize everything. One, because just in general, I'm more of like a, I think you should be able to, we're adults. You want to own a gun, own a gun. You want to smoke meth, smoke meth. It's like, you have your property. We have rules for you can't drive intoxicated. I think that it's just as in general, as an aside, it's like, I think we're adults and I can do what my, with my life, what I want. I'm on this planet spinning through space with you. Let me do what I want. I'll pay my taxes and I'll obey the rules. But, but that's an aside. But you provided perfect examples of what happens when it's legal. You know what's in it. There's 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 a harm reduction. There's awareness. It's hey, don't do this. This could, it's come here. We'll test it for you. Oh, there you go. Yeah, no, it's clear. Oh, it's hey, don't do that. That's got rat poison in it. Like I don't. It seems yeah. like that's the way to go. I think when I grew up in the Dare program and yeah. just the general sort of just say no era. There's. 
we were taught to really believe that all drugs will kill you. And, um, you know, some people respond to that message, but I think most kids don't, you know, once most kids find out that, you know, smoking a little marijuana is really not going to kill me. Um, they start to doubt all the messages and I think kids, kids are smart enough to be able to handle a little nuance and they can understand that. Like if you tell them, if you, if they know you're being honest and you tell them, listen, any pill, any powder that you buy in the black market these days could have fentanyl in it and it could kill you. You know, that, that message is going to be, um, something they're willing to hear. Yeah. It's, and yeah, the comedian Duncan Trussell said that, and I remember that from several years ago, and that always stuck with me, is like, when you grow up hearing that, like, you smoke marijuana, you're going to be dead by Christmas. You're going to be selling out your sister to prostitution and breaking into banks. And then you smoke it, and you're like, dude, I just listened to Pink Floyd or watched Anchorman and laughed my ass off. And you're like, well, this, there's nothing wrong with this. And then you see the same government official or the same teacher and saying, don't smoke marijuana because you know what? And then they also say, and don't smoke meth. And all of a sudden you're going, well, they just lied through their teeth because that pot was awesome. Well, then you go and smoke meth or you do PCP or you get one of these RC chemicals. It's some enantiomer, methyl oxal, whatever. And you take it. No one's ever taken it before. And you take a microgram and you drop dead. And it's like, that is a problem because... If you just said, hey, you know, pot like alcohol, you know, in moderation, be safe. Okay. And then if you then came out and said, but you really do got to be careful about buying stuff with Bitcoin from China. Well, you would take that to heart. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's also the unintended consequences of the drug war, too. When you think about all the people in Mexico who have been the byproduct of card, cartel violence, you know. The, the trafficking from Colombia, um, you know, these, these are innocent people. These are people who are, you know, working for the cartels un- unintentionally. Um, there's all the, the, the border trafficking. And it's, you know, I think it was Milton Friedman, the conservative economist who said that basically drug laws impo- literally you know, enrich the cartels. That's yeah. what the laws were designed yeah. to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, no. The, the one thing you could do to just wipe out cartels is just make it all legal here. Who the hell is going to risk their life running pot across the border when you can just waltz on down a CVS, get a Sprite and like a bag of OG Kush? Like, it, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. This idea that, like, if, you know, I don't know how legalizing fentanyl would look. I don't know if you could buy it in a CVS or something. But, like, take um, what's that stuff? Everclear. You know, uh-huh. Everclear is about the strongest booze you can buy, right? <laughs> but people aren't, like, rushing to the liquor stores no. and, like, no. buying Everclear. You know, people have common sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in college, I remember freshman year at Valdosta State University. Yeah, they had jet fuel. It was Everclear and an orange slushy, And you would drink that, and it was like, you know, if you have that, that's the last one you're having tonight. And they, they like, wouldn't serve you because they could tell because your mouth would be orange. But yeah, I worked at a liquor store for, like, six months of this year. Yeah, there was Everclear. I don't think I ever once stocked that shelf. Maybe one frat boy bought it one time. But, but you're right. No one's, let's go get. I have drank less I drank more between the ages of 16 and 21 than I did between 21 and 30. And it's yeah. not, we can buy alcohol now. It's, eh, you know, it's, I've, I've never bought a cigarette. 
I rarely smoke pot anymore, but it's it's just we're not going to be rushing to it, right? It's it, yeah. yeah. I think I think cigarettes are a great example because that's an example of something that was you know has always been legal. Mm -hmm. But it's been sort of taxed and regulated down to the point where fewer people die from cigarettes every year. Yeah. And that's, you know, it seems like a, a good example for other drugs. Yeah. And, and you're still free to go get it. If you want to go have a stove, go get it. You're still allowed to do it. And it's what I always think, and you brought it up with the drug war, is that it's like, let's look at alcohol prohibition. Like there's this so for anyone out there that's maybe not about, you know, drinking and smoking, like you may be conservative, fiscally conservative. Well, it's like this makes sense. This isn't just some like, you know, this liberal idea. It can also be a fiscally conservative idea. We spend, let's just say, a hundred bucks, obviously that's off by orders of magnitude. Let's say we spend a hundred dollars a year on the drug war. If you're not doing the drug war, there's a hundred dollars you no longer have to spend. And there's also X amount of dollars you can get from taxing. So you're sp putting less agents in the field to fight an Al Capone who's armed with Tommy guns and a bunch of moonshine to you can tax it. Not only that, how many people are in jail and not contributing to the if you really want to just break it down into cold economics, how many people are in jail not contributing to the GDP? How many fathers and mothers are out there not present in their child's life who then that may most of the time leads them astray? They don't have a strong father figure or a strong mother figure. And not only that, how much more money are we paying as a taxpayer to keep those jails going? We have the highest incarceration rate in the world. It's this whole thing that it's like you don't even have to be for peace and love. Like you can be a teetotaler. This just makes like economic sense. Knock out the right, cartels. Absolutely. Tax it. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, and you're right. I don't know what fentanyl would look like legal. But I mean, I would let. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the things that I think the, the drug war sort of ending down or ramping down the drug war would also benefit is a lot of medical science. And yeah. I talk about that in fentanyl link too. Yeah. There's a bunch of psychedelics. You know, the reason LSD was first manufactured was because people thought it would have a lot of um, potential impact on psychology and related fields. And it did, you know, in the first uh, decades of its existence, it was basically the counterculture and yeah. Timothy Leary who yep. kind of Turn on gave it a bad name out. in the mainstream press. But yeah. there's been so something of a revival in, in recent years and particularly with something like magic mushrooms, mm -hmm. you know, psilocybin. Yeah. Um, these, these drugs have, have never, no one's ever overdosed and died from, from these drugs. And, and they kind of can be portals into how the brain works. And the, these these studies are, are really promising, helping people, you know, quit smoking or quit using cocaine and, and drugs like MDMA, which is ecstasy, have really helped with PTSD. And um, it, it really seems like that stuff should be available at least for, you know, medical use. Yeah. I mean, I can speak on that personally. Um, December 2013, right after I graduated college, got into med school. It's like a top honor student. Deep down, wasn't happy, knew I wasn't happy, but I was like checking off the boxes of success on paper. I'm going to be a doctor. I have abs. I have a hot girlfriend. It's like, I'm doing the thing. I'm going to have a white picket fence and a Mercedes Benz. But it was like deep down, I was like, I fucking hate every moment of my life. And I knew that for a while. So I finally kind of grabbed my balls and was like, I was terrified of psychedelics, but I went up with one of my best friends and we, we did some 
took a small dose, uh, two dried grams of psilocybin, up at his lake house, nice sunny day, went up, we knew no one else would be around, it was a weekday, we just walked around, and I remember we sat in a field, and we meditated for like a couple hours, and I came out of that and was like, if I'm smart enough to get into medical school, I was like, I'm smart enough to like, find something I love and make money off of it, like life doesn't have to be miserable. And it took seven oh, that's years. Really, that's really cool. What yeah. what what kind of? How did you med? Did you do like a formal meditation, or did you just kind of? Oh, well, uh, I've, kind I've, of... I've been meditating every day for twelve years. So that was that was seven years ago. So that was that was I don't know formal, informal, whatever. I like to just I normally sit there, try to it takes about twenty minutes for my mind to kind of calm down, and then it's I open my eyes so I don't fall asleep. I kind of do some observation. I am here. I am now. Um. And then I try to focus on the fact that I am like that, which can't be spoken like the subjective, like I like there, there isn't nothing I am. And I just kind of went in and there's like, it just unlocked, like you said, it just unlocked this part of my brain that was like, Hey, like, you know, it's like a dog that's been beaten by its owner and then someone adopts it and they're very nice to it. And the dog takes a while to start to like open up that's almost kind of how I felt. I was like, Hey, like life doesn't have to be like hard work doesn't have to be equated with misery. Like if I'm not miserable, I'm not working hard enough. Like something clicked in my mind that was like, dude, like, like life can be love. Like you can you still have to pay your bills. You're still going to have bad days. You're still going to clash with your friends and your parents. But it was like, but, and, and this is from someone that had been at that point meditating every day for five years it took psilocybin and it just unlocked and that was seven years yeah. ago and as of 20 so many yeah so many stories like that it's it's really crazy i mean it's um you know you talk to people who in their whole life uh psychedelic experience is one of their like top most memorable things yeah and, uh you know it nobody knows exactly how the, the pathways work and all that but isn't it worth at least studying yeah it's yeah it's well right after i graduated a couple months after i graduated i lost my oldest sibling to suicide and i I, yeah it was intense man and i did i did psilocybin on like the one year anniversary of his death because i figured i was like what is worse than like you know the actual death like the one year anniversary this sucks i remember in my mind i was like what would be the worst thing what would be like the worst trip you know, cause they're always like set and setting. You gotta be in a good place. But then I started thinking, I was like, man, you don't call 911 when you're in a good place. You call them when you're in an emergency. I was like, if these are as powerful as I know they are, like, why don't I go in at the worst time in my life and take these? Maybe it will be the worst trip ever. And if that's the case, if I survive it, nothing else in life can bother me. What would be worse than doing mushrooms on the one year anniversary of your brother's suicide? And I did it. No fear. It was, I truly, I mean, still had years of grieving left, but I mean, truly like came to peace with it at a level that like I hadn't ever reached before. And I, I mean, 13, 14 and 15 and 16, I did psychedelics once a year for four years. That's it. Haven't touched them in six years. Now here I am doing a podcast and in the last month or so, I finally turned it into a, into a source of revenue enough. So where by this summer I should be able to move out of my parents house and live on my own but the point is is like misery life can only be misery 
to four doses over four years. Yeah. Making money doing a podcast, talking to badass authors like yourself. Like, well, uh, yeah, I, I learned the most about this um, when I visited the home and lab of Sasha Shulgin, who is the oh, godfather of psychedelics, basically. He's, he's often called the godfather of ecstasy, mm-hmm. but he didn't really like that term. But he um, was a was a yeah. chemist at Dow, Dow Chemical. And so they were, you know, the ones who developed... Yeah napalm and agent orange and things <laughs> yeah. like that and he he developed uh he was pretty straight laced at first yeah. and he developed a uh uh bug an insect killer that made them a lot of money so they let him do whatever he wanted so he basically went into studying these different chemicals which affected brain function and 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 psychedelics and at first he was um doing publishing scientific papers about these drugs and with under the name of Dow Chemical and he you know provided drugs that like the um, the Hells Angels distributed at this San Francisco rally yeah all these people kind of took too much and overdose but um but then he so then he finally Dow Chemical was like all right that's that's kind of enough and so he moved on to this uh, lab on his own property in the woods and developed over a hundred yeah. brand new psychedelics in the coming years. And what he would do was he would take the chemical structure of known psychedelics, like uh, different tryptamines, phenylethamines, yeah, Tycal. Um, yeah, exactly. And he would just, so you take like mescaline and he would just slightly tweak the chemical structure so that you had something that was similar to mescaline, but it had a different reaction. And then he would he would test it on himself and his wife. Yeah. And they, they would start with a really tiny dose, nothing happened, increase the dose until finally he feels something and then he would sort of write his observations. And um, this was not, you know, typically the way science is done, but he couldn't test it in good faith on other people. And if you test these drugs on animals, they're not gonna, give you the reaction you want but eventually um you know he started he he came on to ecstasy very early after it was popularized and he started sharing it with all these psychiatrists he knew and the these psychiatrists shared it with others and they had all these sessions where their patients would have the most profound breakthroughs Mm -hmm. of their lives Mm -hmm. and um this was in the early 80s by now when uh, ecstasy was still legal mdma and they would sell it in, in bars even like yeah, this place yeah, in yeah, texas yeah. where you could get like a gin and tonic and two ecstasy yeah. tablets and that would be on your bill um the the fda kind of got scared off by you know these kind of random horror stories which they always do and consulted studies that weren't really applicable so they ended up banning it in the mid 80s but um you know the power of the of the drug you know it's it's hard it's hard to it's a hard thing because so much of what's called ecstasy that's out there right now is not pure mdma at all Mm -hmm. and if somebody sells you what's called ecstasy or molly you know it, it could have fentanyl it could have something else and so i always tell people to use what are called drug checking kits Mm -hmm. you know they have fentanyl testing strips and they have these kits i talk about them 
in fentanyl ink a lot. There's a company I really like called the Bunk Police. Yeah. And you can just uh, Google them. And oh. they have really affordable, really effective kits. Yeah. And I will tell you immediately if you've got real ecstasy or some adulterant. Um, but, you know, people who, who've used real ecstasy, especially in a supervised lab setting, have um, had, like we've been saying, these really profound reactions. Yeah. Bunk, bunk Police. What were the other ones? Um, Dance Safe. Dan Safe has one. It has some too. Yeah. Was it was it Energy? Was that one of them? Is it just called um, energy? energy Control in yeah. Spain? Yeah. They'll test your drugs for you, for you. You can send them your drugs, and yeah. they'll they'll. So you have to live in Spain uh, for it to be free, but others can send it for a cost. Yeah, I went to Tomorrow World in 2014 in Atlanta, and yeah, I remember seeing people. I didn't even Tomorrow World was such a trip. I didn't even need to do anything. I just went there and I felt high. But yeah, they had testing strips there and shit. But like. It's kind of weird. You see everyone in like bunnies and half naked girls and angel wings, but they're doing like OCAM. You're like, what is going on? <laughs> but they're doing what? Oh, because they're all in their, you know, like rave. You know, they're all yeah. girls are in their rave boots and, you know, bikinis. But meanwhile, they're there like testing shit and looking at I'm like, what is going on in my life? But yeah, it's. I was going to say with yeah, um, in places in, in a lot of places in Spain, as I wrote, you, you don't even have to test it yourself. You, they have a station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bring it right up there. They test it for you. They say, come back in an hour. Yeah. If you can wait that long not to take your drugs. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. The results. Yeah. And it's with with therapy and stuff. I mean, yeah, you talked about Timothy Leary. Have you ever read any or listened to any Ram Dass, Richard Alpert? Timothy Leary is like best friend at Harvard. Yeah, yeah I, a little bit of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Richard Alpert's got some. He died last year. He was like ninety something. But I, I loved his. I'll email it to you. I love his like fifteen minute recount of like meeting Timothy Leary and then them taking mushrooms together. It's it's a thing of beauty. I've listened to it like a thousand oh, times. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I would be interested in that. Oh yeah, he's just he's like, and I became drinking partners with a man, and his name was Timothy Leary, this mad little Irish man. <laughs> he's like, uh, but yeah, he's like, yeah, taking taking mushrooms, and he goes, I remember I had met him, and he was sitting in a field, and he goes, he goes, Richard, I just ate these mushrooms, and he goes, I've learned more in seven hours than I have in twenty seven years of cognitive psychiatry, and he was <laughs> like, he was like, so we canceled our like trip to Mexico, and we just did mushrooms, but. Yeah, yeah the, Tim, Tim, Timothy Leary is such an interesting character. It's yeah. like he he was really kind of revered by my parents' generation for a while, but then he like really fell out of favor. I think with a lot of the harm reduction activists or or people who want to see these drugs legalized, and they yeah. kind of blame him for yeah. making a spectacle of everything and making the straight world uh, yeah. turn out. But but I think there's another sort of little revision about. Uh, Timothy, Timothy Leary now, people are sort of reading, going beyond the public image and reading what he actually had to say. And there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Rich, Richard Alpert Ramda, he talks about how they kind of went their different ways in like the 70s. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I love Ramdas. But yeah, point being is with therapy, have you, um, have you read anything about MAPS? Rick Doblin, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the future of, of psychiatry. It's that's yeah. Yeah, so, I, so do I. I mean, um, it's they've really done uh, groundbreaking work, Rick, and and then there's um, what's the other organization with uh, David Nichols that I talk about in the book. They too have um, really pushed the envelope in terms of 
doing psych, uh, psychedelic studies. And I think countries like, uh, I heard Norway was on a fast track to legalize MDMA for, um, for medical use. And I honestly think the tide is turning so quickly yep. in this, this country, even that yep. if, if you, you know, if you told me that in 10 years, the whole U S had legalized psychedelics or MDMA for medical use, I would honestly believe you. Yeah. By 20. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember when, when the first decriminalized marijuana, I yeah. was like, this is the foot in the door. I was like, you can't, because now the internet exists. You can't put it back in the bottle like the 60s. Yeah, it's, I remember listening to uh, Cypress Hill's album. They had that song, Legalize It. Yeah. And I was 93. Yeah. And, you know, and I was like, come on, that's pie in the sky. Like, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I'm never going to legalize it. And then in California, three years later, it was uh, medical marijuana passed. Yeah. So it yeah. happened so fast. Yeah, it started and it started slowly. And what took the reins was it wasn't just you know it wasn't just a bunch of hippies what happened was is people started making big money and it was like oh there's money to be made in this there's money to be made in head shops and medical marijuana and just high strain just perfect purity right and then was it denver was it last year two years ago decriminalized uh psilocybin and now that's spreading out it's accelerating because now you're going to get more and more people just the general like mass consciousness of people are going to be doing psilocybin more. I think we're going to see an acceleration in just technology as a whole because what's going to happen is for every 100,000 people that try a new, let's say, decriminalize now, so let's say by 2030 it'll be legal, people that are going to try it, for every 100,000, there's going to be just people like you and me that just do it. Like, what a beautiful experience. But what's going to happen is you're going to start to get an Elon Musk or Steve Jobs. Well, Steve Jobs did LSD they're going to do something and they have the power to sort of uh, potentiate their change in mindset, be it wages, be it green technology, one of these movers and shifters. So instead of just some girl ranting on Instagram, save the trees, save the whales, like sure, that's great and everything. And you and I can sit here and go peace and love Timothy Leary. But what happens when like a Jeff Bezos does a heroic dose of mushrooms, right? That's, that's when the world changes. That's when I think there is a book or at least an article about the Silicon Valley and uh, oh, sure. LSD. And oh, yeah. Innovation. The rise of them both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. New York, you got like Adirond cocaine, right? Vegas is like a ton of alcohol and it's just, well, yeah, innovation. Yeah. Microdosing. Yeah. It's insane. It's yeah. What's um? we just passed 30 minutes. I said I wouldn't keep you longer than that. Um, And I, I realized I cut you off when you first started saying it. What's the other book you wrote about hip hop? I have two. The first okay. is the most recent is called Original Gangsters. Okay. It's about basically uh, Tupac and N.W.A. Oh, yeah. And um, it's it's about, you know, the crack cocaine era in the, the late 80s, um, the Crips and the Bloods. It's kind of how this whole, you know, the Rodney King beating mm -hmm. the L.A. riots. Mm -hmm. It's how this whole um, sort of environment bred the music that became so popular the birth of gangster rap and yeah i talked with um all the surviving members of nwa and yeah. people close to tupac and uh it's it's not it's it's you know it's if, have you seen straight out of compton the movie no i haven't yeah it's kind of like the true story behind that so and then i wrote another one that's called dirty south and it's about outcast little wayne all the 
sort of um, the rise of Southern hip hop. Yeah. Well, yeah, I lived in Atlanta for 15 years. Yeah. It's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of reporting there. Fuck yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, dude, I'm going to. Um... I'm gonna send you an email. I would definitely love to have you back on, and I'll grab, I'll grab the, uh, I'll grab NWA, I'll grab the hip hop one first. That one sounds interesting. I'd love to have you back on in like January or something, January, February, whatever works with you. I'll send you an email. We don't need to decide it right now, but uh, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, man, I'd love, I've, I've, and again, I don't. This is my, I, this is a one man operation. This is me and only me, and I say that to say. Because of that, I only have on guests I want to have on. So it's I legitimately like your writing, and I'd love to have you back on. If I didn't, I'd be like, thanks, man, peace, and just not talk to you again. <laughs> You're a good author, man. I, I like your work. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your um, giving it such a close read. Absolutely. Yeah, don't, I love it, dude. And, yeah, that's the other thing. Authors always say they're like, oh, you know the book well. I'm like, dude, if you're going <laughs> to give me your time of day and give me content, I'm going to read your book, and I'm going to take notes. Like, I'm going to... I, mean, I treat it like, a, you know, pre-med. I treat it like the MCAT. I'm like, if he's going to come uh, on and talk about fentanyl ink, I'm going to know fentanyl ink. So I appreciate it, man. You're a good author. Everybody listen. Check it out. It's a great book. It's quick listen. It's badass. It's scary as shit. That's the other thing. It actually did have an effect on me in that I, in 2016, I did get like synthetic LSD online. That's the last time I did it. Do you know what the exact drug was? It was one uh, P LSD and I think ALLAD. And I got it from Lysergy. Okay. And that's the only time I'd ever used Bitcoin. Was I found it and I had it shipped from Can? Yeah, Lysergy. Yeah, is one P LSD ALLAD. And there's one more. I did them separately. Four ACO DMT, which was like a synthetic precursor to psilocin, not psilocybin. Um, but yeah how how were they they were fantastic they were yeah yeah they were fantastic they were i had some honestly i did those and that's when i realized i was like it had been a couple years since i lost my brother and i realized that they gave me the clarity that i was like i'm not in a good place in life right now and that's kind of what led me to like i need to move home i like i need to i need to seek like a therapist like i need to get sober they had a profound as psychedelics do they are they cut through all the the bullshit You know, I'm sure most of your listeners have never heard of the drugs you mentioned, but the the bunk police, they're they're like so sophisticated. They have I like almost guarantee that they have tests for Oh yeah. even the most obscure drugs like you mentioned. Oh yeah, ALLAD 1P LSD, uh like LAD 52. Oh yeah, I know it's all these enantiomers and shit. And I haven't done psychedelics since then, but listening to your book it actually gave me pause and I was like what if that wasn't reputable? What if that was laced with something? And that scared the shit out of me. And uh, I don't think I'm going to be ordering things online. But um, it but, but that is like, that's the problem though, right? Marijuana is bad and you smoke it and you realize it's not bad. So then you have no problem ordering something online. And shit, what if it does kill you? But it's... Yeah. Well, yeah. In, in fentanyl ink, for fentanyl ink, I also went to China and I yeah. infiltrated uh, yeah. a drug lab uh, where they make fentanyl and fentanyl analogs. Um uh, synthetic marijuana and i you know it was this whole process i had to like win over yeah. this guy and convince him i was a drug dealer yeah. and uh you it, was, it's, it kind of reads like a i don't know like a crazy adventure i think i thought you were gonna be uh, the, the only reason i knew it didn't end badly is because i was listening to the book and thus i know you, <laughs> and thus i know you survived but dude when you were talking about how you were seeing like street or highway signs in mandarin and you're like i think we're going west and he was like you a journalist <laughs> are you a journalist like you're like, nope, 
nope, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a gangster. And he was like, John, that's bad. And I was like, fuck, if I could do a more racist impression. But yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, man, you talked about that, and I was like, "Fuck!" And then, yeah, car fentanyl and shit, man. They use they, the the Spetsnaz. I remember reading about that years ago, and I didn't I didn't actually know that was real. The Spet or was it Spetsnaz that they put it in the air system? Oh, uh, in uh, in Russia, you mean in Russia, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. They yeah. the terrorist um, they took all these people hostage yeah. in this theater, and they tried to just put everyone to sleep using. Uh, aerosolized um carfentanil and this other type of fentanyl and it it killed like 100 people yeah yeah and that's i mean i know i'm going over that's a tricky thing right because you have to have everyone asleep and you have to have everyone asleep instantly which means you need like a common denominator and it's use carfentanil which is like a pinprick of that will drop an elephant yeah yeah. it was a very ill-conceived plan yeah i mean i guess in i guess in russia it's like, it's like fuck around and find out you know yeah <laughs> yeah it's no kidding yeah but um yeah everybody listen and grab it it's it's a sexy book it's a terrifying book but it's um it definitely shed a lot of light on it like i actually feel like i understand it more and now i'm gonna be even that much more of a of a of a snooty snobby prick on my podcast i'm gonna be like well let me tell you about the enantiomers of fentanyl because now now I have my PhD in fentanyl after reading your book, but um, yeah, man, I appreciate it. I'll uh, takes a couple hours to upload, so I'll send you a link, and um, yeah, I'll send you an email, and let's uh, let's definitely do one on uh, NWA and Tupac in January sometime. I'd be happy to do it. That sounds great. Fuck yeah, man, Ben Westoff. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. And um, yeah, everybody, grab the book. Description sticking to the top comment. It'll be in the thumbnail. It's a dope book. I wouldn't. I've I've yet to recommend a bad book yet. So. Fuck around and find out. Fentanyl Inc. by Ben Westoff. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll take care, Tommy. All right, buddy. You too. Peace. Okay.